Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Happy New Year, podcastlings. It's the Nerdist Podcast number 52. Uh, today's episode is with Mark Marin. Couple quick things up at the top, though. Uh, I want to tell you we are going to be doing Nerdist Podcast live in San Francisco at Cobb's Friday, January 28th, as part of SF Sketchfest, the ginormous three week long comedy festival uh, in San Francisco. It's an, an incredible lineup this year. So go to sfsketchfest.com to get tickets to our show and see other shows. Uh, also, I will be performing stand-up comedy jokes at Zany's in Chicago, February 16th through the 19th, and then at the Punchline in San Francisco again on March 2nd through the 5th. So uh, that's all that information, and uh, the boys and I packed it up and went over to the Cat Ranch to talk to Mark Marin uh, just about his incredible uh, success in the podcasting world, and also about being a uh, damn fine comedian. So here we go, the Nerdist Podcast episode number 52 with Mark Marin up a good one for the start of the year. Now entering Nerdist.com Alright, are we recording? Your show, buddy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love this. We are actually recording. This is the Nerdist Podcast. Chris Hardwick, Jonah Ray, Matt Myra. We are in the lair of Mark Marin. The Cat Ranch. We're at the Cat Ranch, which I don't know if... It, I'm sure this is gonna, you're going to hear this the whole podcast, but uh, the basically <laughs> the clouds uh, are, are pissing... The likes of which I have not seen. In no, Los not in a long time. I feel like the ceiling's just going to start crumbling like oatmeal uh, into our lap. Oh no, no, no! Are you turning the rain up, Mark? That's what it sounds yeah, like in my headphones. Turn the rain up. <laughs> it took to my mixer. That there was thunder. We never get thunder in Los Angeles. Did you hear thunder? Yeah, we were thunder. walking up. See, and maybe, I, maybe and they, wow. I know people complain about it. They like you pussies. It's like fifty below here in uh, Minnesota. Okay. And like, so, listen, <laughs> LA is not built for rain. The the the, the streets are concave. They collect water. People yep. don't know. Nothing works. Nothing, nothing works. And people drive like People shit don't works. know how to drive. But uh, it doesn't matter. Mark Marin, I'm thrilled that you're finally on my podcast. I did your podcast probably a year ago. Yeah, we did. you did a live one, and, uh, and I, wanted you have, I wanted to have you on for a long one, but I haven't. Uh, it, it's, it's nothing personal. I, I don't. I understand. I know how it works. Well, no. Sometimes I, I think like, well, Chris Hardwick. I like Chris Hardwick. What am I going to talk to him about for an hour? And then I think, oh, Chris Hardwick's doing okay on his own. I always have this idea about you that he's doing all right. He doesn't. Uh, 
He doesn't need to talk to me. Uh, I love talking to you, though. I enjoy the camaraderie. I'm really trying to focus, Chris. you got to understand, I've got two Bulgarian electricians in my house that have every light fixture in my house gutted. There are wires hanging everywhere. My cats are horrified. I just put the one cat that I lives outside back outside so we won't kill the other cats. I have no idea where he's hanging out, so I feel guilty about that. I don't know if I can trust them. Al Madrigal just had to drop off a dimmer switch that these guys are going to install, and there's no end to the rain. I'm trying to keep it together, Chris. Now, when did Al Madrigal start <laughs> delivering hardware to people? Well, Al Madrigal is my neighbor, along with oh, uh, along with Maria Bamford and uh, Bam Bam. Yeah, a couple other people. And Madrigal, uh, I, you know, of course, I told him that I had this electrical problem and that I had the Bulgarians over. And he said, "Oh, dude, you always got to check with me about uh, workers. I got guys that'll work for good quality and cheap." I'm like. That's not going to help me now, Al. So <laughs> they're already here. They're, they're in my house and they've yeah. taken it, most of it apart. Yeah, I mean, because we agree. I, I had said, uh, you know, we could record this uh, at my house. We record it with G4. And you said, hey, I've never had this many people and my setup at once. Why don't you come over here and I'll try it out and see how it works? I didn't realize I'd be dealing with so many obstacles, i.e. the, uh, the <laughs> second great flood, uh, Bulgarians in my home. The things just, I was sitting at home last night and the lights just surged. Like it was, it was a feeling like. I think my house had an aneurysm. That's the only the only comparison yep. I can make. Like if I had an aneurysm, I would picture my brain would go yeah, and then and then everything would shut down. And so then that, your house smells like toast. That's right. I smelled the toasty <laughs> smell, and I called I called the twenty four hour electrician. And she said she was going to page a guy who never called me. Of course. And then uh, I went into a mild panic, and then I realized, Chris, I'm an adult. These things happen to people. This is not a. I'm. Not, I don't live in a, a shack. Right. You know. They, I, I'm not starving. No. I think if uh, if my smoke alarms work, I should be able to sleep. I understand, but but I'm going to go out on a limb here mm. because I feel like we are a part of the uh, fraternity of obsessively minded people, and when shit starts getting chaotic around your home, yeah, it is unsettling. Yeah, unsettling, and also it's very hard for me to not think that it indicates everything in my life that is somehow. <laughs> That this is just a, the the arcing just of a extension, wave, just an yeah, extension. Because yeah. if one thing goes wrong, you know, I can just change my lens, my lens, just a little bit, and, and sure enough, everything is going wrong. I do the same thing. Somehow, I make I make everyone's weather about me. Somehow, yeah. like of course, of course, this is happening. To yeah, me. well, yeah. it's happening to everyone. Right? Yeah, makes sense. You, a friend of yours calls in. Uh, it, it's it's like a horrible story about my father it, it, that I've told before, but uh, and this is a sad indication of what I come from. He calls me one day. And his wife's name is Rosie, and he says to me, uh, I, he sounded sad. I said, what's the matter, Dad? And, well, it's not unusual for him to be sad. He goes, well, I just found out, uh, we just found out Rosie's got breast cancer. And I said, that's, that's horrible. I'm sorry to hear that. And then my dad says, yeah, I know. I got bad luck. So <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of an extreme and a sad indication of uh, something. But, uh, but nonetheless, it's like when someone else, it's very hard not to see shit going down the world, not personalize it. I'm trying not to. But there are a lot of things going wrong right now, Chris. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have a little brother. You do have a little brother. Yeah, he took the brunt of it. Oh, he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did the best he could with me. Uh, as many of you know who have known me for years, it's no easy task. Oh, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, uh, we're we're pinging. Uh, we're keeping the lines. Subs. We're keeping the lines open. Well, yeah, yeah we're underwater yeah. now. It's it's finally happened. Unfortunately, the garage is well, fortified. One with, uh, ping uh, only. Verified. A, a Russian Sean Connery has decided to defect his submarine, so we just have to keep tabs on him. <laughs> if he's defecting to Bulgarians, he's in luck because I have two in the house. <laughs> They're two in the house, and your house is floating. Uh, we are literally podcasting underwater. This is like the start of a really bad Sid and Marty Croft show. Where this podcaster <laughs> is getting swept away. In Did water. you have to say really bad? <laughs> I mean, I love Sid and Marty Croft, which everyone, but. 
but not the not the highest quality of programming. Yeah, yeah okay. So sorry. someone in a big outfit gonna come out? Soon? Yeah, like some giant puppet, a surprising puppet. Yeah. Why, hello, podcasters! <laughs> How fantastic to be in a place uh, where where you can. I mean, Sid and Marty Croft had the kind of weird power in television where they could be high on a beach, stare at a pile of seaweed, and go, "That's a fucking show," and then it became a show. That and is, that was and give him a name like Sigmund. Sigmund. Right, and then it would become uh, anthropomorphized yes, and, and lovable. The and pile lovable, of, that lovable pile of seaweed. I, I, worked on a, I worked on a cartoon once where the uh, guy who ran it would want to anthropomorphize everything. <laughs> and I always said, I was like, oh, I got an idea for uh, uh, one of the cartoon episodes. We'll have an anthropomorphic, anthropomorphized nothing. Yeah. So it's just like a, a, a blank space with eyes, arms, and legs, uh, <laughs> but with eyes, arms, and legs. <laughs> He's like, he's like, no, that doesn't make sense. Hasn't that been deep. done, though? I feel like that's been done. The uh, Just the eyes, the floating eyes. That's true. Yeah, but usually yeah. it's after someone takes invisible cream and then puts a black hole on a wall and jumps and through, right through it. Yeah, yeah, but then the other guy just hits the wall. <laughs> of course. Well, you, don't the, wanna, the, the yeah. you don't want to get that on your eyes. The antagonist will hit them. the wall. The protagonist gets to jump right through. I call that personal physics. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> Customized. Just yeah. for me. That's how it works. Magic. Maren, it's been so much fun to... To watch everything that you've been doing, like your podcast uh, uh, has exploded even since I did it just a year ago. I mean, you, I watched, I watched your show because I kept an eye on your show for a long time, especially before I started doing mine. You mean, are you saying in a sort of an abstract way that you compulsively check your iTunes ranking? I do, <laughs> I do, I do check it sometimes. Yeah, I check, I check the iTunes ranking probably once every two weeks. The weird thing is about it; it doesn't indicate much of anything. No, because it's it's, it's a it's a strange algorithm that they won't exactly tell you what it is, but I think it's it has to do with. New subscribers versus subscribers you already have versus ratings. Yeah, and comments or something. And comments and, yeah. or something. So they, they because they try to keep the system fresh. But it's but I think the reason we get obsessed with iTunes is because it, you can see it. Yeah. So like you know people <laughs> go to it. You, you're not going to explain why you're number fifteen or something. Oh, it's because the algorithm. It's not. It's not a justified system of, of rating. <laughs> right. Anything. Right. But if you can stay somewhere visible, you're like I'm winning. Well, we need. Yeah, we need. We need some kind <laughs> it's of like a credit score. Yeah. We need some kind of visible roadmap and and so much of what we do I mean I was I was someone who always wanted to like I want to build a th- I always love those montages of like guy builds a thing someone accidentally sees it then it becomes a product then they build a factory then it's a company then they, like you can't really do that with art like you w- when you're doing stand up it's because you're the product so it's very difficult to have to see sure. that oh yeah no uh, yeah. And, to, and to get that perspective and so we have to take these weird little landmarks wherever we yeah. can get them and, 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 and that's that fucking rating system yeah, and as a comic <laughs> all you're seeing is that same arc of you getting old like, yeah, you know, exactly you'd, you'd like to see the the industry growing around you but all you see is like oh fuck is that great temples? I got great temples now. How do I sell that? That didn't used to. Oh, there's younger kids out there. Well, just speaking about the rating system, Jonah emailed Matt and I. This 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 is probably the best single comment that we have ever gotten. Someone gave us a one star review by leaps and bounds on on iTunes. And by the way, I encourage you to give us five star reviews because that counts on our ranking system, and that's really important, to everyone. Uh, okay, so the his the subject of it was yeah. Oh, but let's preface that we were in this episode. He was referring to talking about. Uh, oh yeah, I had my. Biglia on. We were we we were podcasting him in his hotel, the stand, uh, the W in Hollywood, and so we kind of were start, we were shitting on the show Entourage. And I uh-huh. said, I've never gotten into Entourage because the, the characters are types of people that I've seen for decades in Hollywood, and I don't like those to hang out with those people, so I don't want to watch their story. Yeah. And so uh, so we kind of shat on Entourage a little bit. Not as a written show. It's Of course, it's a well-written show, but just the characters that I, that I couldn't get behind. <laughs> so this guy writes, yeah, dot, 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 one star by Martin7044, December 7th, 2010. 
Ch- this is how I assume. It's just, yeah? G- yeah. <laughs> dot, no, dot, yeah, I got no. I don't yeah. know how he talks, but this is how I read this in my head. This is how I heard him. I checked out this podcast, and they were talking about the TV show Entourage, and every character was a loser. <laughs> yeah, Ari, the most powerful agent in Hollywood, and Vincent, a millionaire actor. <laughs> and who are these guys saying this? A bunch of dudes doing a podcast? Give me a break. <laughs> so Jonah forwards it to us going, I think this guy thinks Entourage is a documentary. <laughs> like, those are real guys. He took it personally. Like, yeah, Ari's a loser. He's only the most powerful agent in Hollywood. When he gets a hold Hollywood. of you guys, you're going nowhere. Yeah, yeah, good luck trying to get a career now. <laughs> I'll give you, you guys are cooler than Turtle, but other than that. Well, isn't that weird, though? Because I find that a lot, even with intelligent people, that they have this weird blind side to how things are really done and what reality is and what it isn't. It's, it's fucking r- ridiculous to me like there are people that still think that john stewart writes his own jokes all right. the time right. that, like when the writer's strike happens i i mean i thought i was baffled that people weren't like oh see they don't they're just acting they have people but no they, they're intelligent people really believe you know sir i'm not saying that guy was intelligent no no no, no but i, I no. do like what you were saying about those type of people that seem to have a very specific type of fun that everyone understands involves you know money and power and fast cars and strippers is not really the type of fun we have so we hate them we've been battling with that type of person for centuries <laughs> well because because it is i guess i guess within the entertainment business it is a very the the um the 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 structure of it is very jocks versus nerds. I mean, there is like those types of entourage guys who can walk into a bar and scoop up four coked up models, and 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 someone like me would walk into a bar and be like, "Hello!" Like I, where I'm very, I like I want to make weird references to you know to Doctor Who, and and I will scare those types of people away. Well, let's be honest, Chris, if I could, and I, you know, I know I'm sitting in my old chair and I'm, I'm trying to let you drive your own show here, no, but I, I mean, that. Let, let, let's be honest that I think that in your heyday, you, you've had your experience with coked up models. I mean, you I did, did not. Did never. Not. Nope. All right. But okay. So the, the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm a saying, serial monogamist. I've been in pretty much serious relationships my whole life. That's well, the weird thing I have though. I have had my entire. You've got a great though. story. <laughs> have you told that on the Nerdist? No, I know. Okay. I <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you can keep that a secret as long as you want, Jonah. I'm not gonna just you, me, and the improv lab. That's all that <laughs> oh, Jonah Jonah is hard is is like inside he has an inner rock and roll motherfucker. Oh no. yeah. There's yeah. definitely like and I know you do too, Chris. Nah. I've, I've heard you sing Zeppelin. I mean come on. I that's yeah. that that means monogamy's one thing. <laughs> but I mean, I've seen you fucking sing Zeppelin, and also what I'm saying is, is that if they just went to the next day, is that all that glory of coked up models and running around in nightclubs? The the morning after is always ugly. You don't know when the coked up model is going to leave. You don't know if she's going to live through the night. You don't know. You know, there's a lot yeah, of things. That you don't they, know if the steroid shot you drove into her heart's going to get a beating right. again. Exactly. So all this enchantment is based on pure horseshit. I mean, I don't, I don't really understand how people idealize this kind of stuff because you lived it. You lived it. Right? Yeah, but I was, you know, I'm not necessarily a nerd, but I'm socially awkward at heart. And, uh, you know, so whatever I lived, you know, I, I, unfortunately, what I'm noticing in my life is if it, I like people that like me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's not always the best policy. I think that you should fight a little bit and, and try to charm, you know, to, you know, you have to go after something. Sure. So, uh, so my experience with Coke and everything else and, and all that rock and roll living was I saw all that stuff going on and I was hanging around with people that did it, but I never, I never felt like I was really part of it. I, ne- I didn't have much game. Okay. So it wasn't, you know, it, I wasn't living the life. I like what you just said about you have to fight a little bit to get those relationships. Who, who is someone that you, 
Who is someone that you saw and you're like, ah, I want that guy to like be friends with me? Who? who, who? Oh shit, dude! I mean, you know, people that we know. You mean? Uh, I mean, it's always it's always been the way with me. I'm just you know, I'm doing a lot of reading on my own uh, psychological sickness lately. I, I recently went through a breakup of my own device uh, that I really am I'm sad that I had to do it. You know, it was just that I realized that my problems. I, I somehow or another, since uh, you know, since a divorce, I thought over the last three or four years that I magically became not angry anymore and well adjusted. <laughs> Like the, I have this thought, you know, there's this part of my brain that thinks like, hey, you know, maybe I could understand chemistry now, even though I got a fucking <laughs> F in it in high school that like I'm older now. It, uh, it should be easy. But, you know, none of that shit happens. I think you but from my perspective and, and I hope this isn't insulting because it's not like it's not like you and I talk every day. So I, I, you know, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. I I feel like you have come a tremendous Oh yeah, yeah, In definitely. The but, but the question about you know when I was younger, and I think what what evolved into my sort of aggressive personality that alienated a lot of people was that I'm the kind of guy like I I I need one friend, mm-hmm. and that's a tough job to be my one friend. It's, it's a very demanding <laughs> job, and it's draining. Yeah, quite bring honestly, out dimmer switches in the rain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, no, that's, he's, just, that's just a neighbor's <laughs> job. Imagine his friend's job. <laughs> but the thing was, is like Dave Cross is a great example. Uh, when we were starting out, and, uh, and he was like, uh, he was always pretty cool and goofy and funny, but he was also pretty sociable and seemed to have a lot of friends. Like I wanted nothing more than to be, you know, Dave Cross's friend. You know, back in. Like, it must have been 89, mm-hmm. 88, 89. And I'd met him in college, and I wanted to be his friend. And and I felt like I worked really hard uh, to be Dave Cross's friend, and he eventually uh, let me. And uh, <laughs> and it, it worked out pretty well. But, but all these people that have these experiences with me, they all see me as this really kind of, like, aggressive, angry, needy person. And I'm always like, you know, but we were such good friends. And then I realized, in retrospect, it's like, I had no choice. <laughs> you, you, were, you were basically stalking me. You Strong-armed me into friendship. (laughs) I was emotionally coerced by your insanity. (laughs) But you were the only person, I know I said this on your podcast, but it was a long time ago, you were the only person who could uh, attack someone and then disarm them at the same time because you would say something horrible and then and then reveal a horrible insecurity of your own. Yeah. You go, you go. Uh, oh, you think what you're doing up there is good? Fucking get a life. Uh, I only say that because I'm insecure and I, I didn't get hugged a lot when I was a kid. You're like, yeah. I don't know how to feel now. Yeah. So I don't know how to feel. So you're saying uh, I'm sort of like uh, uh, an emotional rapist. Well, in a way, because you because it's all about power. You you manage you would manage to go in and attack and then also and yeah. then get the counterattack. You right. would take control of that too. Yeah, yeah, so. you punch someone in the face and go, help me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was gorgeous. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, re- I'm doing a lot of reading about that now, Chris, and I'm starting to understand myself a little better. Now, if I can rewire, maybe these Bulgarians can rewire my fucking brain while they're here, because uh, yeah, that would be helpful. It's possible, although <clears throat> the uh, the gift that uh, many comedians have is that you... You're so you become so hyper aware of everything and every every little thought, every little feeling, every nerve impulse that you it's very it becomes difficult to discern like what's normal, what's abnormal, like what what is what you just normally have but you didn't pay attention to before, so you don't know if it's right. You here's an indicator. Here's a couple indicators. They're not laughing or she's crying. You know that. So <laughs> those are two very <laughs> red and, flags of not normal, or, or at least not doing. It's anything. worse when it's all at the same time, though. <laughs> when <laughs> everyone's happened. laughing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the audience, or or worse is, or and better the 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 real horror show is like, hey, they're all laughing, but she's crying, <laughs> and I'm the one with the mic. 
<laughs> that happened in Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, the comedy attic? A, less than a year ago. Oh, you were the comedy attic? I was. I enjoyed the comedy attic. It's great. It's a good Yeah, he's, he's a good guy. I, you know, I, 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 I have to remind myself to get in touch about that fucking hotel. I'm not staying at that hotel again. Oh, that one that's out on that weird Wait, highway? You know, I never felt more unsafe. Uh, in in a hotel in my life, you know. Aside from, you know, I'd also sort of met a slightly crazy person that I, of course, befriended. And but there was that hotel. It's like out in the middle of nowhere, and yeah. it's a cottage hotel yeah, where like, you get a key to a little like house, like a townhouse, kind right? Of a thing. But there's no security. The keys are like these ancient punch hole keys. I, I just never <laughs> felt more unsafe in a situation. I'm gonna. I need. I need to stay at the fucking Hilton in town. I'll tell you, it's it's worth it to. I mean, even now when I go on the road. Even if I end up paying out of pocket, I will pay to stay in a nicer hotel because it is so fucking worth it to me. Oh, dude, it's like it's I, like that was one of those monumental sad things where where like I was at that hotel and I didn't have a car and it's two foot. You're not close to any fucking coffee shop and I didn't go shopping to you know support you know to have my little stash of shit in the fridge yeah. and I wanted a coffee in the morning and all they had was like Swiss Miss cocoa packets and some packaged coffee. So I'm like, all right, so I'm gonna make a mocha with this. So I'm sitting there like <laughs> like some sort of ridiculous road chemist you know trying to make a mocha that'll get me up enough to enjoy my day and uh, it was tragic in a way Ed, you almost become a pioneer I better trudge out to the <laughs> coffee well bring in more car. I'll be back in I'll be back in four hours oh the things that I try to manufacture to replace ice cream it's it's sort of sad <laughs> I'm in there, like, I make my own flavored yogurt. I'm not proud of this, but, like, I've gotten to this point where I know what I like, I'm fairly specific, and if I can manufacture something that is as close to buying shit, like, I get this Trader Joe's plain non-fat yogurt, I put stevia in it, and I put either vanilla flavoring or almond flavoring, and, and this is really fucking, it's not even nerdy, it's just bizarre. When I was a kid in New Jersey, very uh, very young at my grandma's house, I really loved Dannon coffee yogurt. Uh-huh. They had they made a coffee flavored yogurt, and and now I've 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 taken my chemistry to create my own <laughs> coffee yogurt. I went to Sur La Table, which I I, yep. I I have that part of my life because I have a Soda Stream uh, yeah, seltzer maker, and I bought coffee flavoring, and I think I've mastered uh, the coffee yogurt. And I I'm not saying I deserve any sort of fanfare, but I'm satisfied, and I just wanted to share that. I'm a little. So, I think I think you would be doing your fans a great service if you would post the recipe online. I think people would love to enjoy Mark Marin's coffee flavor. Here's yogurt. how I make non-fat yogurt. <laughs> I take plain yogurt, you know, usually Trader Joe's or anything that's non-fat completely, and I put I, I sweeten it with stevia, which is this weird root yep. that I'm sure I, I hope that in the long haul it's not bad for me. <laughs> yeah, I know aspartame is bad. Aspartame's bad. People say that stevia is the like the really organic, healthy people say stevia is the new way to right, go. Right. But if you get pure stevia, it's very powerful. You know, it's like blow. You okay. got it. You got it. It's like you better do a taste test. You know, like you so you know. It. So yeah, you, you cut it <laughs> yeah. or don't kill yourself. You know, just do a do do a, a small hit, and then I take flavoring and I mix it in, into the yogurt, and that's that's how I make non-fat yogurt. That's uh, and I of course uh, am, and I know about this stuff. I uh, I come from a family of eating disorders. So <laughs> there you go. There's a, a new one. There's a new uh, fake sweetener I saw a commercial for. I can't remember what it was called, but it's a uh, supposed to be the uh, Splenda replacement. Splenda I heard causes anal leakage so that is not something i know that it's it's important to look thin but how important is it and all how all of it's bad you know like the, that's the thing like I, I drink a lot of uh cherry coke zero that's my favorite soda right now yeah and i know just like in a few it, but I, I drink it a lot because i know nobody has figured out why it gives you cancer so you're just trying you're just trying to stay ahead of the cancer curve yeah exactly I think diet cherry coke's better than coke 
Cherry Coke Zero. Uh, well, well, the I'm aspartame sorry. thing, there's a sort of like a borderline conspiracy theory about aspartame causing similar symptoms to MS and causing memory loss, that there are certain people that have a allergic reaction to aspartame, and then that, that's traced back to Donald Rumsfeld, who was at Searle Pharmaceutical at the time that they invented aspartame, and he pushed it through, so somehow it's tied to 9-11. I mean, it's a big, <laughs> a big conspiracy. And it all goes uh, to Dr. Xavier could handle this. <laughs> He could send in the X-Men. You know why I like hanging out with nerds? As I don't know what you're talking about. Please, we're in the fight. Like, if if I could just describe the room we're in, it's just like- With the Watchmen. We're, yeah, you got Watchmen right there. Like, we're, we're, we're in a library. There's, it's awesome. There's books stacked everywhere. I mean, look. The, I see. I see a book of Ape Men, which I assume is some sort of uh, book about the, the development that. of hominids. <laughs> I stole that from the Creation Museum. No, that's that's a book. <laughs> did you really? Uh, yeah, that, you stole it from the Creation. Why? Yeah, that, I did. That, that when you open it, does it says say like, "Thanks, Lord." Well, basically, it's basically trying to prove that uh, that any association between men and uh, apes is ridiculous. It's basically trying to prove that the ape man idea is false. And I stole it from the- uh, Well, you shouldn't have to pay for that. <laughs> I know, right, the bargain <laughs> like, table. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fucking a book of lies. Yeah. So I should have it for free. Just, like, just like all fiction books. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing. It, it, like, it is a book physically, but it's nothing, so it should be free. But it's, it's entertaining to know that there are people like, you know, sweating over that going, of course, how clear does it have to be that this is, <laughs> you know, we are special God-made things. I don't the, throw my own feasties. I must not be You them. want me to write this book about ape men, but I'm not a scientist. Even better. <laughs> is this the Creationist Museum the, uh, where the, uh, the Pee-wee's Big Adventure dinosaurs out in the way to Palm Springs? No, this is uh, one, one that's in, in, in Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, uh, I can't remember where it is, but they're building an arc there. They're really, they're oh, actually right. building a scale that. model of the arc, which a lot of people think, you know, what a display. But I think they're a- actually preparing. They should move uh, it to Los Angeles, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm building uh, one today. Uh, but you know the uh, the the dinosaurs from the dinosaur scene yep. in uh, the, mm-hmm. like the uh, brontosaurus has been turned into a creationist store. What? Yeah, yeah you go inside a, a dinosaur. Do you have any dreams? Yes, I'm all alone and rolling a big donut, and there's a snake wearing a vest. That's now taken over. That's now it's now a creationist shop where you can get uh, like you know coloring books of Jesus riding a dinosaur and stuff like that for irony purposes right mm, no no oh, I bought a on. snow globe a creation of snow globe with a little uh, dinosaur with somebody like riding it or something I mean and the thing that, they it, wouldn't it, let me take it on the plane oh really why yeah. Because so much liquid in there. There's a lot of liquid. You could attack someone with your creation of snow globe. Well, they thought it was going to blow up, and I said it's much more dangerous to be in circulation with people. (laughs) I like like how the truth is going to not only not only do they presuppose that we were around when dinosaurs were around, but that we tamed them. Like that's how it's a very very (laughs) well. Anyone who watches the Flintstones knows would know that obviously. Uh, But Mark, it's interesting because you, I had been writing. I I was trying to write a bunch of um, you know uh, creationist. Material and then I saw you at UCB one night, and you pretty much did everything that I would want to say. And I'm like, well, I don't need to. I don't need to develop this any further. Oh, you saw me do the chunk on the museum. I don't know if it was a chunk on the museum, but it had something to do with like the uh, the cause the thing that I was writing was. There's this idea of irreducible complexity where they say like, well, this huh? this there's a it, they use it to explain creationism where they say like uh, specifically, well, this system that you have that it, that where you see like your sight system, yeah. if you were to you, you can't reduce that any farther, like it it couldn't have evolved. Oh, okay. Because it is sure. as simple as it could possibly be. They've got so a lot of weird nooks and crannies it had of to be, pseudoscience. It had to be creative, right? Yeah. And so and so I was my point was like, hey. 
it, you know, if you go back in history when religion, politics, and uh, and uh, science were all the same thing, if you just looked at a frog, you would say, well, that's as simple as that thing's going to get. We can't. And then you open it up and go, oh, no, there's pieces inside. And now we can look at things on a on a subatomic level. And, you know, so it's, it was just the idea of, like, you know, you see certain uh, religious bodies have to keep ebbing their beliefs to meet with science. But it's rare that you ever see the other side. And what you said was, wow. why aren't people just comfortable saying we don't fucking know yet? <laughs> And that was, it, it so succinctly described what I was trying to say that I gave up on all the material. Wow. And I don't even remember saying that. It was, so you write you don't that mind, shit down. Yeah, you have to write, write that. that down. Well, I ended up doing like 15, 20 minutes on my trip to the Creation Museum for my new CD that like I started doing, I was in Cincinnati and I started talking about just the experience of it and how I thought I would be a lot more angry. At, but really, I was so amazed at how much money and, and how, how amazing the museum was that I really wasn't angry, but I was like gloriously embarrassed embarrassed for our country but <laughs> but somehow proud because i knew that this couldn't happen anywhere else <laughs> did you did we performing at the funny bone and i was working at uh no i was in cincinnati at go bananas oh okay all right which was great i had a great time there it's, it's been fun to go on the road to, and, and actually you know people come out to see me specifically isn't that a joy after 25 years yeah is it interesting <laughs> is it interesting to you that because i find that uh the podcast has brought brings more people to live shows than all of the TV stuff I've ever done put together. Yeah, well, I mean, like you, but not so much. I mean, I think you were actually more popular than me in your specific job on TV at different points in your career. But, you know, it was hard for me because there was this idea I had after doing as much you know, comedy on TV, you know, Conan's and you know, premium blends or not premium blends, but comedy central presents HBO specials that after 20 years of really not building an audience that I had this idea that not, it was only because that America had decided that, that, you know, the jury was in no Marin, that, that there was some sort of thought out there that, that, that not only was it, I wasn't Foreman. Have you reached a verdict? Exactly. And the verdict what was, what do in, you that, think? Yeah. What do you think? And, and the truth of the matter is you don't, if, if anyone can manufacture that lightning in a bottle that causes someone to take off or, not take off who knows how it happens or why the kids like something or why anybody pops through into the collective unconscious or the collective consciousness that you know i was pretty beaten down by it but the interesting thing about this is i'm doing it in my garage my podcast this is your podcast and i have no control over who gets i don't know really who's going to get it but i do know that the people that are coming out know me right it's not about my comedy like a lot of times they're like yeah i heard some of that stuff you talked about it before and they start asking you about like well did you ever get how's the cats you know so that <laughs> the dialogue is like they're literally hanging out with a guy they listen to once or twice a week you, you know so mm -hmm. the the dynamic is different it's not just about we want to see your comedy like afterwards you know, they bring me gifts I, I get boxes i get cakes i a lot of people bring me very peculiar things it's great and and, and i think one of the things one of the reasons I mean, I don't mean to get slobbery, but one of the reasons why you're one of my favorite performers is because you managed to do a thing which I, I still feel like I'm maybe 10 years away from, which is you uh, you managed to put your persona – like, you're, you're an open book on stage. You are as much – who you really are on right. stage than than I than really almost any other performer I can think of. Well, I I wouldn't say I would try to tell you to I discourage you from you know taking ten years to try to get to that place because you know ultimately <laughs> you know uh, yeah, there's a dynamic that people expect at a show and that's uh, he's the performer so you know some of that 
because of the way I've, I've gone at it is lost. You know, like I, I have no real respect for a fourth wall and I, and I do obviously have bits that I, I do, but there's not much distance between me. I, I've, I've, I've always envied people that have a persona. I'm like, what, when is mine going to show up? You know, when right. is my persona going right. to show up? Because in my mind, and, and I realize it more now because of the reading I'm doing that, you know, all I've really been trying to do is be myself in all areas of my life. And, and that's what I do on stage. So for me, the, 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 the whole journey was not about how do I become some sort of weird amplification of my own insanity right. so I feel safe within it. How do I build a clown that works? And, and be, be, Because the, the, the problem with the way I do it is that every fucking show is emotionally draining. Like, I, right. can, I can't, I, can, I, don't, I don't have any sense of autopilot. If I'm on autopilot, like, if I feel myself, for whatever reason, detaching from my audience, I literally say, God damn it, I don't want to do this joke anymore. I got to get into the present. <laughs> So if that's part of my act and people go, I love when Marin does that. It's like, well, that's just Marin trying to fucking emotionally get present and risk being drained, you know, by the end of the show. So it's a very exhausting way to work. More disciplined performers who build an act and have a persona that they can write for, you know, might actually, uh, you know, after a show feel elated as opposed to a, a protective to, wall yeah. between their material and themselves. Right, right. Yeah. As opposed to get off stage going, I can't believe I told them that. I don't fucking know them. <laughs> like as if it's not going to get back to somebody. I'll do shows where I say shit where I'm like, I literally have to say... Could you guys not tweet that? Because like I'm still involved in that situation, you know, like it's ridiculous. Well, you but you managed to. I I, I saw you have a really good set at the Laugh Factory one night, which holy shit, I hardly ever worked there. Exactly, and the reason being is because it is a place where big, you know, kind of big personas prevail. Yeah, and when you're and you were on stage, you were just sitting on a stool, <laughs> just talking about yourself, but it it was working with them, and it was so incredible to me because I'm like, wow. This is if I if I felt like I saw more of this working at the Laugh Factory, I would probably want to perform more. Well, there. It, well it's very tricky with that because because I know now and I didn't know for years, you know, the limitations of the way I do comedy, which is that. And I was a guy that started, you know, fifteen years into my of my career was very aggressive. You know, I I I, I had that sort of first joke that I knew would pop it open, and then I I stay in that, and you know, and I was strutting around the stage and sweating and smoking and yelling. Uh, you know, I was a big persona, but. I started to feel very trapped in it and I realized like, uh, you, you know, I'm posturing. So the trick of performing like the way I perform now, it's almost like I like to get on stage sometimes and just literally be like, oh, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And then all of a sudden people like are paying, you have to get them to pay attention in a different way than they've had, you know, whoever went before you or whatever 10 acts they've shown. That's the frightening risk of doing it the way I do it is that I have to turn the channel you know, and not just with energy, you know, like sometimes you try to jump into someone else's energy and like, oh, I'm just going to stay at the pace that you guys are used right. to. And here we go. Or when they bring you up to music, like, ding, ding, pow, and you're like, well, I can't even fucking follow the segue music. And, and like, so what I've been doing now is literally be as, as confused and disjointed as possible in the first few minutes, just so they'll listen differently. Mm-hmm. So that's been a trick, and I learned that lesson early on when I was in, uh, and, and I didn't abide by it, but when I was first starting out in Boston, I was at Nick's Comedy Shop, and uh, it must have been like 89, uh, 88, and they gave me a five-minute guest spot right after Dennis Leary. And Dennis Leary, you know, in his heyday, you know, whether he did well or not, 
uh, was going to just blow the room open because right. of his you know manic intensity and his right. pace. So like he gets off, and I tried to jump right into that, and I bombs, and I just felt a vacuum. <laughs> like they, it wasn't even that they weren't enjoying me; it was like they were taking something from my yeah. soul. Right. There was a vacuum to the silence, and I I realized that you know you can't really do that. A couple of things you should never do as a comic is try to jump on the groove of the guy before you or take a shot at him as he goes out uh, <laughs> just to get your first laugh. And I've done that before, and I think we've all done that you know like you get up and like oh, i guess Marin is just me, me, me. and uh of course that was Patton doing it or jimmy pardo <laughs> but um <laughs> the uh... oh no sir yeah. oh no sir <laughs> definitely not i asked him again last night i saw i saw pardo at uh-huh. the i did the the, uh, the benson's i love movies he had this massive like it was a 12 person elimination of the leonard malton game so uh-huh. it was like Sarah and Patton and Kevin Pollack and Paul F. It was just like a it was like a a big giant round table and I saw Pardo there and I was like, Pardo, I'm I'm gonna ride you. We're gonna do the mega podcast. You, me, Marin, Corolla, Ackerman, we're all gonna get together and do it. And he's like, that is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. I will never do that. I will never be on board for that. Awful. Yeah. Yeah, because Pardo would not be able to talk as much as he's used to talking in that particular situation. I mean, when you're working with Pardo, you, you literally have to start talking like him in order to get a word in edgewise. He wouldn't even tell me why. Like you're going like, but why? What is the why? It would be fun. It'd be like a big, you know, laugh Olympics of podcasts. Oh no. Why? I can't, I can't get it out of him. <laughs> and to add to my impression of him that seemed uh, attacking or insensitive, I'd like to say that one of the nicest guys in the world, Jimmy Pardo. <laughs> article. See, I still do it, Chris. I still like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but he is. He is. No, I, no, I love him. He helped me out a lot. So, I, somehow. I'm not I sure I accidentally, <laughs> I sort of met, I, I met uh, Don Rickles at a party the other night, uh-huh. and it was, it was sort how of like. How do you accidentally meet Don Rickles? Like, because. Holy shit. I'll tell you, you exactly. We're how, in the bathroom at the same time. I'll tell you exactly how, and uh, it's it's going to get name dropping, and I apologize, but this was just the really situation. Do you really apologize? Chris? I really do. Actually, I, I've, I've only listened I to your really podcast do. a few times, and I, really I sense do. there is some name droppage. It's generally. not, but it's but but it, it it gives context to the story. Okay, I won't I won't say who. Don't I apologize won't. for something you always do, Chris. Ah, oh, jeez, Mark Maron. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Go ahead. I just dropped your name. Sideswiped on my own podcast. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was I was saying goodbye to someone at this party, and they were talking to Don Rickles. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't want to interrupt. I just want to say goodbye. He's like, no, come here. And Don was like, they tell me you're a comedian. And I'm like, I I am. And so he just started talking about comedy. And I was perched at his side like I was listening to my grandfather tell yeah. a the Christmas story. He was like, I mean, by the way, I'm working on the Don Rickles podcast. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going <laughs> to happen. And did he say, okay, it. listen, hockey puck. He did not say hockey puck, but he was so sweet, but he was just like, it's all attitude. It's all attitude. I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't even know if I've written jokes. If I'm on a show and I hand someone $5 and I go, here, go buy a real shirt. It's just because of the attitude. It's not what I'm saying. And me and this other guy were just sitting there with our mouths agape. I couldn't even speak. Yeah. Because we were getting this. Well, that's uh, a that's a nice encounter with a veteran. I uh, I once was <laughs> introduced to uh, Jackie Mason by Rick Newman, who used to own the old Catch Rising Star in New York. And, oh, uh, name drop. Yeah, and Rick Newman <laughs> said, uh, "Hey, Jackie, this is Mark Maron. He's a uh, he's a young comedian." And Mason looks at me and goes, "Doesn't look funny." <laughs> and that was that was the end of that court session. <laughs> it's a very short uh, holding court. Uh, well, at, in uh, fairness, Jackie Mason does look hilarious. Yeah. yeah, well, they, a lot of guys, uh, there, there's a long tradition of people that look hilarious. I mean, that, or that use that element. Like, Chris and I, I don't know that I, I think I'm getting more hilarious looking as I get older. And uh, only, you know, and I, I don't, I'm not inviting it, but Chris doesn't look hilarious. He looks felt and, you know, focused. And 
uh, you know, like some, some sort of like you know nerd ferret up there. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Jumping around. Someone make that drawing. Someone chives. draw that. Chris as a ferret nerd, doing nerd comedy. Ferret on it's already some, happened. Somebody will. It's already somebody happened. Will. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean like. Do I need to apologize to you for anything? No. Are we good? We're right. totally good. No, we're good. You, I, I asked you out to lunch like two years ago, and you're like, "Why? What are you gonna? <laughs> are you gonna attack me?" Like, no, I just want to, like, I feel like you're one of those guys that, uh, you know, that I, I respect their work, and so I just kind of wanted to get to know you a little bit better, and uh, and there was just like, an, and you were, at the very beginning, your instant response was defensiveness, but then after that, we had a nice lunch, I well, thought. Yeah, well, that was because, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a jealous guy, you know, what can I tell you? And I, you know, and, uh, and John Lennon wrote a song about it, so I'm valid in my... Uh, <laughs> But uh, but I, I I think that at some point like I always decided that you were one of those guys that was always doing well and and anybody who I assume is always doing well uh, I uh, I take issue with and but then like you know there was that period there where you're sort of chubby and sweaty and fun. and I and you were the person that I came to we were we were at a party we were at, I think it was Zach it was Zach Alvinakis was having oh, a Fourth of July party in Venice 2003 I remember because I was I was so hammered at that party. That I had called a cab and then passed out on Zach's floor. Yeah, yeah. he was like Chris. Next to Chris, the couch. Chris was the guy that was on the floor. Like, there's no moment yeah. worse for a guy who drinks than the moment where you're just, you know, unconsciously on display. Like, yeah. you're like, I'd like to introduce you to my problem while I sit. <laughs> while, while I'm in your way, yeah, you yeah. have to step over my problem. That was the best part because you were right next to the. Oh, couch. you were there. Yeah, I was there, and, and you're right next to the couch. And and so <laughs> almost uh, made it. And Zach had to wake me up and go, uh, "Your cab's here," and it was one of those, "Where am I?" Like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was. But I think you know an hour. Or so before that, that's when I really started to sense like this lifestyle is maybe not working for me. I mean, I had, I was going up on stage and just like blanking. I couldn't, you know, like any 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 presupposition of oh alcohol like being fucked up frees your mind on stage. It completely emptied my mind, hmm. and so I was starting to feel like this is not working. And I need I think I might need to talk to someone. And you were the first person that I came to at that party, and I was like. So you don't drink anymore, right? Yeah. Beer in hand, yeah. oh, drooling. Yeah. yeah. And, as, uh, as Mark is outside shooting people with fireworks. <laughs> yeah, shooting people with Roman candles. You and Nick Swords. Oh, that was the greatest time. Like, they had like $10,000 worth of fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> you got so excited when you found them, too. Dude, I couldn't stop. I was like seven. And we we're just like burning shit <laughs> just, up. And who's that other guy? Houses. Who's Nick's friend? The other comic, I think he's like a Midwestern guy, a portly guy. Oh, a uh, soft spoken dude. Yeah. Uh, the. It was Dixon just, Matthews. Yeah, it oh, was, yeah, 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 Dixon, and we were, it was just like it was fucking hilarious, yeah. you know. And, and I think I, I was married at the time, and they, everyone was looking at us like we were like fucking idiots. And I think we did some real damage to his uh, his concrete. It was a very cute little house, yeah. and you know when you do the firework that you're like, and it burns, it literally burns the concrete because of the <laughs> magnesium content. And you have that moment where you're like, oh, I think we really fucked that up. That's yeah. not going to wash off. I think there was a lot of that. There yeah, been and it was a that. small street, small crowded Venice street, where just cars and kids were yeah. around. So in the, in the middle of this fucking firework apocalypse, portly fuck Hardwick <laughs> comes up to me all sweaty and confused with his beer. <laughs> like, I think I might be in trouble. So you've been sober for a while. At that point, you probably were sober for about five years or so, six years maybe. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we talked about it for a second. And then I think I ran into you, I don't know, a week or two later at the improv. And you came up to me and you handed me the sheet and you're like, look. Here's a questionnaire. Uh, did I? Wow. Did. Bad questionnaire. Here's a questionnaire. Fill it out. It might answer some questions for you as to whether or not you might have a problem. And the, But it was hilarious that you reminded me. You're like, I'm not just doing this for you. This shit helps me too. Like, helping yeah. other people helps me. Yeah, yeah. So I want you to know there's a selfish aspect of yeah. it as well. Well, that's because I, I was really program-minded. And I don't know. Did it help you? It did because uh, that was that was that actually... The fact, because what people have to understand, the context of our relationship up to that point was, 
you were very aggressive toward me. And so the fact that you would you would go out of your way as someone that I was convinced hated me uh, to say, look, despite whatever there might be between us, I, I, maybe you should take a look at this. Like, yeah. That made it that that gave it that much more weight yeah. to me as to, as opposed to someone who's my friend where it's like, you know, it's like your mom complimenting you. Sure. Like, of course, you're going to say that. Yeah. But for someone who hates my guts to go, look, dude. You, I think I see some similarities here, and you fi- maybe you should fucking think about this. That you may have been a large part of the reason why I quit drinking. But I'm glad I didn't get too like heavy-handed with the AA shit because, like, I mean, you chose another option, and a lot of people, you know, don't realize that there are other options. And and I, you know, obviously, what worked for me, you know, is not going to work for everybody. But like, I think I, I tried to get you to a couple meetings at some point, but you're like, ah, you you, you you thought about it, and you might have gone to one or two. But like, then I saw you like six months later, and you're like, I'm running like 900 miles a yeah. day, <laughs> you know. So so you completely replace the alcohol with this running thing. I'm like, you look great. If it's working, fuck it. Well, you, I use. I use vanity to help fuel mm-hmm. my sobriety, mm-hmm. and, and then and then of course later on I had all the realizations of like oh this is why I was doing this yeah, yeah. like but, but oh, they, those never stop no 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 <laughs> but it, but it was interesting because I realized about myself that vanity was a gateway to oh, you know like because I lost a lot of weight right away and I started living healthier. And so the fact that I looked better made me go, oh, okay, now this is, of course this is something I should do. Right, right, right. Then, then like I said, years later through therapy and whatever, I realized like, oh, well, there, there are a lot of other really more important reasons you got why a good you therapist? shouldn't do that. Yeah, I had, a, I had an amazing therapist when I quit drinking. It was uh, Billy Connolly's wife. Was a th- it was is a therapist and and she and I went to her. So he's got the name dropping just, scorecard. Were you just no, asking kidding. about Billy Connolly the whole time? Was that your no? Therapy? But the yeah. reason that I the reason <laughs> did she talk like him? You've got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we must deal with this. <laughs> the reason that I went to her, the reason that I went to her, is because because you know I loved I loved Billy Connolly. I didn't he's know, great. I didn't know him, but I but I worked with him once and he was really sweet and I was a fan of his comedy and I assumed. If she is married to a comedian, and she also was a comedian, she was on SNL uh-huh. in the eighties. Uh-huh. Uh, her name is Pamela Stevenson. She and I thought she understands a the comic brain. Is she still uh, in the game? No, she left to go write a book, and she went on sabbatical. And like, uh, but but she was the person that I went into uh, when I was like, it was uh, like two months after that yeah. happened. Yeah, and uh, and she was she just looked at me and she was like. You you look terrible. You are you you look awful. You're blotchy. You 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 look homeless. You need to go into <laughs> like to, you need to. She's British, so uh-huh. she was very, was very eloquent the way she was saying it. She's like, you need to stop today. And 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 I don't know for whatever reason. Just after having talked to you and a couple other people and and, and just her words, like right then, I was like. I guess I could just do this today. Yeah. And, that, and that's that's what it was. Well, you, you did look, it's interesting because like you were one of those guys, not uh, like me, you know, I'd get very gregarious and I, you know, I'd, I'd make, I'd make an ass out of myself and be angry and shit. But like you had that look where you're like, it, you had that look in your eye, like, like you, you didn't know where you were anymore. Oh, you're yeah. like disjointed that you, yeah. you had this gaze where it was just sort of, you were constantly assessing your entire life or something. And <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it was, you're looking at the battlefield of your life at all times, like some weird thousand 
the arts stare <laughs> from a war in your head. Yep. And uh, it, it, well, I'm glad you found it. Billy Conway is, is amazing. I had one of the most intense breakfasts in my life. And at the Aspen Comedy Festival, I somehow was wandering around the buffet in the morning years ago. And I was doing my one-man show up there. And, and I see him, and he looks at me, and he goes, oh, you're the whatever he said. I don't remember. But I sat down, and that guy, he just radiates his fucking charisma. I thought I was going to disintegrate while I was eating my omelet. <laughs> like his last radius. <laughs> yeah, because like you watch him on stage, and, and then you realize like you know, even when you're in a room watching him, he's very huge yeah. you know, in, in terms of presence. But that doesn't change when you're eating breakfast with him. And he like, literally was like, I, I think I need to sit at the other table. But, <laughs> but we're still having breakfast together, yeah. even if there's a, you know, even if sad Steve Martin is sitting over to the left <laughs> by himself, <laughs> but we're still going to try to maintain the connection and have breakfast together. Oh, that's hilarious! I do, when, when you, uh, what was it for you that I mean? Did you did you go to rehab? I mean, do you talk about that stuff? What did what did you? Oh yeah, I talk about it ex- ex- exclusively. What was it for me? Yeah. What what, what finally? What was it for you? Well, I was, uh, you know, I was in a miserable marriage. My career was in the toilet. I was doing, you know, small segments for a local TV show in New York City where I wandered around the streets with a desk, you know, talking to people. Uh, you know, I thought it was over. This was one of the many junctures in my career where I was, you know, pretty broke and uh, and my life had gotten away from me. <laughs> and uh, I was uh, sweaty and drunk and, and fat and, and holding court at the comedy cellar. And fucking Mishnah Wolf appeared <laughs> like some sort of angel and said... I know you. You're Mark Marin. What happened to you? Oh. And I'm like, what? She goes, you look like you're going to die. And I'm like, <laughs> who are you, pretty, is that, is pretty that girl? You, is that when you went, fuck you, let's get married? Is, yeah. that, is that when you proposed? A few weeks later. <laughs> I, uh, no, but you know, she basically said, well, I can help you out and I can lead you in the right direction. I'm like, I'll go anywhere you want. You know, and then, uh, you know, of course, I followed her for eight or nine years until that blew up. But nonetheless, <laughs> that was the moment. And I'd been in before. I was in rehab in you know, 1980. Seven or eighty-eight before for a month. Cool. Oh yeah, yeah, and it, you know it held for a year or so, and you know I'd been struggling with it to some degree, but I never quite understood or or, or thought that right. I had that big a problem. And somehow or another, she got through to me, and I just grabbed onto her <laughs> and drained her of her life force until she had to aggressively detach from me and go somewhere else. Did you steal her essence? I, was, I listened to the Dane Cook podcast. No, I, I didn't steal her essence, but I imposed my essence on her pretty heavily. <laughs> I have to, I, I have to tell you, by the way. I I I thought the Dane Cook podcast that you did was phenomenal. Like I, and 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 what's interesting about your niche in all of all of the little podcast verse mm-hmm. is that uh you you like cuz some people have said like, "Well, why don't you try to get Dane Cook on your podcast?" and cuz I feel like cuz Mark did the perfect interview with him. Like I don't feel like I can I you know, it's it's weird that what that sort of set some weird standard that a couple of things happened with that podcast is that I didn't know what to talk to him about. And, and I don't, you know, I, he doesn't fill a very large part of my brain. Right. And, and I never was outside of, of the fact, you know, that, that you know, I was quoted as saying this, that he seems to not have a lot of substance, but he, he has a lot of, you know, very charismatic energy mm-hmm. that, that kids get a kick out of. But, you know, he's sort of an empty vessel filled with gasoline, I think is what I called him in so many words, that, that I thought he was indicative of something happening culturally that was disturbing. But I was never one of these guys that, you know, that gets hung up on who stole what and whatever. Right, right, right. But I didn't know really what I was going to talk to him about. And it was interesting because I get this phone call. Bill Bird had put it in his ear to do my podcast and, and gave him my number, I think, is how it worked. And I'm walking down the street in San Francisco. I'm up there doing a gig. And I get this call and the phone rings. I don't know what the number is. And I go, hello. And all I hear is, Mark. 
it's Dane Cook. <laughs> and, and I'm like, wow, it never stops, really, the intensity? Like, yeah. And you mentioned that to him. Yeah. And he was like, I did? Yeah. Well, the thing was, is I think he listened, like he does his homework. He's a fairly political guy. You know, he, he you know, he's, he's very aware of his image and, and what he wants out of things. And so I didn't, and I just, you know, quit nicotine, you know, the day or two before that. And I was relatively aggressive with him and, and it worked to, it worked to his favor. You know, I wasn't calling him out on shit, but I think my approach was like, you know, why are you, why does everyone think you're such an asshole? <laughs> and like, I just asked the questions I thought people would want to hear. Uh, and also like that I was curious about, but also I was trying to find something beneath this thing, but he was very diplomatic and I was an asshole. And what ended up happening was that, and, and this happens with a lot of podcasts, despite how much you hate the person I'm talking to or whatever you think of Carlos Mencia or Robin Williams or Dane or any of these people, Ben Stiller, it doesn't matter that what happened because of my attitude was that like, you know, I don't, I never really liked Dane Cook or even gave a shit, but you were a dick and he, I thought he did all right. Like he, he, he humanized him. That's exactly the word I was going to use. You, you humanize these people that have become these characters right. where they represent, they, something. they represent something bigger. And then. And then you're able to sit down because, I, number one, I think all these people probably respect and are slightly afraid of you. Mm. And well, that's what he said. <laughs> Dane said that. Yeah. They respect you and they're slightly afraid of you. And so they just get really – they just get very human. And, and, it's, and, and I think as a, as a listener, that is the best that you can possibly do when you're interviewing someone is humanize them and, yeah, hear the, I, and get their story out of them. And I thought you did a great job and it made me maybe kind of like Dane. And I, never, yeah. I didn't really care about his material or not. I just – I'd had a couple experiences with him that were negative, and so on a personal level, I was like, "Yeah, fuck that guy." But but hearing what you brought out of him kind of made me go, "Oh, well, maybe I was being a dick, and he he's just a dude." Well, the weird thing that I started to realize, like, I don't ever set out to do anything when I interview other than have a conversation that 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 is organic. You know, mm -hmm. so whoever I'm talking to, you know, we sort of forget that we're on the mic and we talk. But but the the thing I'm learning from talking to all these people is that yeah, you know, the egos of of people that have that much stature. Are, are going to be fairly daunting, you know, and even if they're, you know, acting beneath their ego or they're trying to be like, sort of like, I'm just a guy. And I'm like, eh, you're not just a guy, really. <laughs> like, like Leno, I'm just a working class stiff caught in the machine. Like, right. Well. Yeah. But then you start to realize that that's there. So like, how do you engage in that moment where he talked to, where I brought up the essence thing, which somehow or another threw him a curveball because, you know, he had not prepared for that or that I would know that story. And I wish I'd know more about the story, but the fact that he couldn't really deal with it. But uh, you you were hammering him with that so hard. You said it like fifteen times. You were like, "But do I? Did you steal my essence?" Yeah, and he yeah. was like, "All right." I mean, I don't right, know. right, right. Well, but but the thing was, is what was interesting in that moment was he couldn't muster up a sense of humor about himself in that moment. And every time I brought it up, he 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 did not. You know, he would not muster up uh, like you know, like yeah, I did say that, or you know, because yeah. it was probably it's an embarrassing thing to have someone hear you say, you know, like because you, you know, it, it's just one of those things that of a million things that you say in a day, some stuff that comes out of your mouth is going to be stupid, you know, like just no, but I, but I understood the idea of essence, yeah, you know, and I I, I call it drive shaft, drive shaft, yeah, yeah. 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 and and uh, you know, it, it just was just interesting to me that the reason I kept hitting him with it was it was really touchy and I'm like it, and it wasn't like it was that sordid or that weird or that you know controversial a, a, a moment, but like he clearly said it and he and, and he had an intention of it and just characterizing him as this guy standing over Hollywood going someone is. Taking my essence, uh, he, he just—it just struck me as interesting that that he couldn't, 
you know, he couldn't get uh, humble about it. Right. I, I, I just, I, I sort of read it as that he was just embarrassed by it. Like, <laughs> that he was just like, okay, I can't. I, I got. I, he was very nice. He sent me a bunch of coffee. Uh, you know, like, you know, like he sent me like twenty pounds of coffee because I'd offered to give him some coffee because I have a coffee sponsor, uh. and he invited me to his house. And you know, I really struggled. With the the idea of like you know maybe I should go over to Dane Cook's house because I I have this idea that you know he's got no friends and that you know that he, he has sycophants around him and but I I didn't go and uh, and he never called me back. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, do you have because I, I'm I don't, I'm sure it wasn't your intention to do this, but now that you've sort of you, you I think you've sort of established at least some part of the podcast there there is a little bit of whistleblowing or taking people to task. Do you find that uh, some of your listeners? Uh, are more aggressive? Like, some of your fans are a little more aggressive than you would prefer? Like, if people come up to you at shows and like, yeah, and I went up to this one dude and I told him, I told him to fuck himself in the face. And yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. okay, yeah, that's yeah. not what I'm trying to get across here. <laughs> well, a lot of a lot more of what happens in, in my listeners is I get I get a lot of people that that email me that they thought they were crazy and they no longer think I'm crazy. They're crazy. Okay. That, like, somehow I speak to the inner workings of a brain that my belief in terms of my monologues and stuff is that most of people's energy goes into just getting by mm-hmm. and, you know, getting by in their relationship, getting by in their job, get just, you know, passing, yeah, you know, keeping their shit together. So they can't really honor the, the, the kind of existentially desperate monologue that goes on in all our heads. So I sort of share that. So I get a lot of emails of, you know, people like, I thought I was losing my mind and, you know, thank God you're out there. You've really helped me through this shit. I thought I was alone. So I get a lot of that stuff, which is very rewarding. And actually the guy in Bloomington, you know, my, my people are, are a lot like me, in, in, in some of them anyways. Like, I sold pretty good tickets up there in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jared comes up to me after the weekend and says, you know, you did really well with ticket sales, but I've never sold more single tickets. So... <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, you know, that's my, you know, okay, those are my people. And another guy came up to me once at the at the comedy store and said, like, I saw that you were going to be here tonight. Like, I tweeted it or something. Like, I changed my plans because you're the fucking best, man. When I'm manic depressive. And when I'm depressed, I just listen to your CDs over and over again. And it gets me through it. I'm like, well, I'm wired for that. I mean, my dad was manic depressive, and he was my first audience. I mean, I was the kid that my mom would say, go upstairs and make your father laugh. You're the only one that can. Uh-huh. So I'm wired to connect you know, to certain people. But that, I mean, obviously. Obviously, that's not all of them because I have other fans that because of the Mencia podcast and and uh, and Dane and Robin where where there were really issues to be talking about that that we were speaking about issues within the comedic community you know around around stealing you know and around sort of like um, you know the reputations that these guys have and I dealt with that and then I have someone like Ben Stiller in and then you get a couple of guys who are like I think it went pretty easy on Stiller I'm like it's not 60 minutes yeah exactly <laughs> you know, I'm talking to entertainers I mean there was no indictment of Stiller oh my god I got that and the, when we first started doing the podcast people were like you sure kiss your guest's ass a lot why don't you fuck and I'm like what but they're my friends. Why would I bring them on and try to make them feel bad? We're just having a conversation. Well, there's a delicate line with that stuff because, like, in the circle that you run in, which I think is a little loftier than the one I run in, you know, just because you have more friends in in uh, in the larger. You <laughs> I know, don't know what's what circle do I run in? No, no, I just mean that you know you uh, you have a lot more. Uh, I think you know real friends who are visible in show business. Maybe so. Uh, I just I feel like a loner. Well, you want me to pull up the fucking yeah your 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 episodes. <laughs> so like. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so yeah, okay, Mr. Loner. Why don't we, can we give John Hamm a buzz? I bet you have his uh, number on your phone. But anyways, right. so, <laughs> or maybe uh, yes, we can call John yeah, Hamm. Let's get Rob Zombie on. I'll patch him in. All right. All right. Now, so no, but all I'm saying is that because of that, and I had this issue when I uh, with Adam Sandler once, is that as comedians, you know, depending what comedy, you know, what kind of comedy you do, if you're going to be a cultural critic, that the the indicators of culture that show business represents is most of it in America. Mm-hmm. So at some point, you're going to be in a position to attack a guy you know. Right. And you're going to have to sit there and, 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 you know, sort of deliberate over that. Like, you know, how do I, you know, I want to be, you know, make, you know, and, and this is something like, you know, when you look at someone like Andy Kindler, it's all he does. And because of that, you not only is one of the best comics in the world, but he's a relative pariah. Right. Uh, so, so, you know, you, we're all conscious of that. So I think when people say you're kissing someone's ass, it's only because, you know, there's a politeness element that we maintain in some, uh, in some, uh, uh, um, what's the word, in, in some instances that, that is, is, co- it's community etiquette, yeah. And and to and to people who are just listening, they're like, you know, the fuck that guy. They're on your team, and they're like, well, he's not on my team. I don't like that guy. But in in our world, it's like, well, we're we're in the same business. Yeah, and but also, I just don't, I I don't, I don't like people to, I don't like to feel like I'm responsible for making people feel bad. I want everyone to be happy, and yeah, I want everyone yeah. to have fun. Why is mommy and daddy fighting? Well, that's <laughs> an issue that you're gonna have to deal with. <laughs> you know, the, your codependency is like, you know, your own problem. That I, you know, I can't. Disagree with that, but I loved you know when I when I was uh, I was in New York in 2001 working on a show and uh, that was uh, there was a, there was a lot of drinking going on at that time and uh, and I remember I was doing sets around town and I was ha- I would hang out at the Comedy Cellar because I lived a few blocks from it and uh, and I said to someone like oh yeah I, you know I'd love to go up to the Comedy Cellar and someone's like dude don't even fucking try you will <laughs> never get in there it is a closed knit. Thing and then the back table, the back table, the mm. back table of just, like like you and Geraldo and Colin, Colin Quinn, Quinn and Nick DePaulo, Jim, Jim, Jim Norton, Norton. Um, <laughs> table full of assholes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, on purpose assholes, yeah, yeah. and and they're going to you know, run you through the ringer. I I I'm still uh, you know I still get more shit than I can ever imagine uh, you know, possible when I go there. Did you feel like? Did you feel like that's what was happening there? Because you were on you were on the other side of it. Did you feel like that's what I was, it was? You know, honestly, or do you think we just read into that? No, no, no. Honestly, I never was, you know, really integrated as one of the guys there. Right. I mean, the the woman who who now really runs the place, they literally she would not put me on that stage and give me spots until she saw my HBO half hour. That like, you know, I'd been doing comedy eight or nine years. All of my friends worked there, but she she also runs a room that's uh, you know it, you you really have to work there. You can't mm-hmm. you can't fucking you know noodle around in that room. Right. It will it will get quiet really quick. It's it's a room that is so humbling that. I can go there and still have a set where I walk off saying, you know, I know how to do this, right? I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I've been doing this a while, but uh, but I was never part of this core group, and and it was always very clear, you know, when I if I'd go to New York and I and I'd say uh, I put in spots, and she'd be like, I don't know, you know, Geraldo is here, Atel is in town, Mark Cohen is back, you know, so like I'd be the guy that even if I'd come out of t- from out of town and I hadn't been there in four months, you know, I'd get one spot on the Saturday, and you really sort of want, I used to really want to just get you know, like two two or three on Friday, you know, three or four on Saturday. So I could just hang out and eat and you know have a nice time in New York. But I was never that integrated, maybe for a few weeks. So wow, that's amazing. It's just so amazing the perception that and I and I think you it's just like what you said to me before about oh the circle you run. I think I we always have these ideas of 
how like where people are with you know like their situations or their groups but then most of the time if you ask them they're like really you thought I was a part of that thing I'm not a part of that thing I didn't really know any of those people well I no, I mean I hung out there a lot but I was I never felt like you know like I could always go to the cellar yeah. you know and work yeah you know I never really felt that um, but you know I used to sit around there a lot but then it got to the point where it's like I've been doing this long enough to where I don't really have to, you know, why do I got to put up with this shit? You know, what am I going to, you know, I'm going to, like, I'm going to sit there with a bunch of dudes who are my peers, you know, and, and, and I'm at the, certainly at the same level they are, and I'm doing the, the you know, the 1230 on Saturdays, and I got no other spot, so I'm going to sit there and eat and, and, and talk and, and go, no, no, I'm just going on, and I got one, just got one. So I, I just stopped doing it. Well, what's incredible is that, uh, is that whenever I go to New York, and I can do like two or three shows in a night. I'm like, oh, that's right, I forgot. You, there are places where just because in LA is is just is almost a it's almost like a barren wasteland of you know. I just hear I'll go to the comedy store even if it hurts me, only because you know it's it's not cool. There's no industry there, and you know you just get up there and slug it out and you work out. And then I'll go like I'll go to alternative rooms. Like I'll I'll do. I'll do Tiger Lily. I'll do shows that people ask me to do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll just book an hour at UCB just to work out shit. Yeah. And you find ways. And now I got a lot of road work coming up. I just take my new CD in Brooklyn. But a lot of the building I'm doing now, I don't care where it is. Yeah. Uh, it, you know anymore. And you know I never go to the Improv. You know I never go to the Laugh Factory just because it's like I'm just at a point where it's like I've lived this long without them. Uh, why do I got to jump through hoops? For fucking, you know, Jamie Masada, who like acts like a douchebag to me every time I see him for reasons I don't even understand. I what, what do I got to do that for? Yeah, well, I mean, you just call him a douchebag, so maybe I said he, he, he said he acts like acts a douchebag. Like very, he acts like one because he is one. Dude, oh. I mean, I was just there with Madrigal, and, and Madrigal, you know, reintroduced me to Masada, who I've, I've, yeah, I've different points in my career, I've worked there on and off. Yeah. And uh, he goes, you know, Mark Maron, right? I, I keep telling him what a great club this is, and Masada goes, yeah, you keep telling him what a great club it is. <laughs> So maybe, I mean, that's, maybe he'll come true. That's clearly acting like ah, <laughs> I didn't say that. I chose to say here on an, a podcast that he'll never listen to that he acted like a douchebag, and I think clearly that indicates acting like a douchebag, <laughs> which is fine because I think the last time I went up to the Laugh Factory, like once a year, I'll go. Maybe it wasn't as bad as I remember, and I'll go up and and just. And have a set that just feels like I'm trying to walk through a swamp with ankle weights on. Well, yeah, but th- but see that's but see what you just said. Walking through a swamp with ankle weights on is good training. So like on some level. Well, let me tell you why. When you hear no, the last time I what always happens is I end up going up. Like the last time I went up, it uh, it was um, Dom Herrera was doing a show. Yeah, Thunder in fucking Los Angeles. God damn it. Um, Dom Herrera was. It'd be amazing to- if this slid down the hill while we're in it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We get it. As long as, just hold the re- equipment yeah, yeah, to make so sure that get you catch it, yeah, it yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. They'd podcast it to the very end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys get it? Do you guys get it? So <laughs> podcasting <laughs> under rubble. They're removing rubble. Yeah. Someone we're okay. We're okay, Jody. You okay? <laughs> no, no. I'm gonna <laughs> make sure this gets uploaded before I die. <laughs> so, uh, Mark, you don't have the use of your rotator cuff anymore. Do you feel like uh, I'm good, man? It's, it's just guys. I have feeling in my leg again. All good. Success. What happened was the last time I went up there was probably like two years ago, and uh, Dom Herrera was was hosting a Tuesday night show, and he was like, hey, come on down, do it, it's fun. So I show up. Was he the comedy judge? Does no, he was, was not a comedy no. judge. He he wasn't. He decided not to show up that night for whatever reason. Sure. My name wasn't on the thing. Yeah. So they were like, oh, uh, okay, so we'll put yeah. you up. So I was supposed to go up at like midnight on a Tuesday, 
and uh, and then Dane shows up, and then he does like an hour fifteen. Like he just showed up and then did an hour fifteen uh, of not really anything. He was just kind of fucking around. And yeah. uh, look at me time. By the time I went up, it was like one almost one thirty in the morning. There were maybe twenty people there, spread out. They keep all the lights on at the Laugh Factory, like it's a lecture. And uh, it was it was just awful. Like I had an awful time. Well, the thing about where, where I'm at now, and it's like, look, you know, there were times in my life where the, you know, being working at the improv was so important to me. Working at the comedy store was so important to me. Working at the at the comedy cellar, like I just that's all I wanted. And and and, and there's part of me that still wants all that. But the truth of the matter is, you know, I have to acknowledge my place in the fucking business and and no matter how much i want you know carte blanche or, or or to be able to work regularly at a place you know we live in a world full of you know twenty thousand comics and everyone's got their agendas there's politics to the business there's club politics and everything else and at this point in my life i know that i can get my work done in any number of ways yeah. and, I, and i cannot be hung up on that shit and it just hurts my feelings and my fucking pride to be, you know, to be expected to jump through hoops or to be underpaid. Right. And it's just like, when it really comes down to it, I just say to myself, I've lived this long without it. Is this <laughs> so, going to make, you know, why am I fucking, you know, allowing myself, you know, to, to go through this, you know, relative humiliation? I paid my fucking dues, well, dude. Well, and now, now you, <laughs> now you're in that sort of camp of people who are just kind of carving out their, their own thing. Yeah, which, and which finally. I, which I think is, you know, I think part of the hard thing was that, you 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 developed and you were at a time where comedy was sort of like live comedy was sort of di- kind of dying down a little bit there wasn't really like now we have we can easily promote stuff to people and put stuff out in the world and it just you didn't have that in the early yeah days. and and I didn't really do it until uh, you know this started to happen I had no idea how effective or what I, it would do I remember um the three of us were at a show at the House of Blues in that little side oh, yeah, room. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this was, I think this might have been the night that George Carlin died. Actually, really, it might have been. But like, I remember like um, Chris was on stage and we were talking off to the side. And I remember you were having one of those uh, Mark Marion freakouts, or where it's like you know you had to complain about something, but yeah. not, and I was closest to you, <laughs> and like, um, okay. and you're just like you're like it's like yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, man. My fucking career's plateaued. If that. <laughs> If that, and then, uh, it's like you know, I got I got nothing in the works. Like yeah, you know, I got nothing going on. And then uh, you know, like you know, cut to you know the podcast again starting like, out of yeah. pure desperation. Anytime I've made any sort of movement in my career, it's been either out of like all-consuming spite or or absolute desperation. Yeah. And, and it was not like it wasn't some sort of plan. You know, it was <laughs> it was like God, I hope this fucking works because I'm gonna lose my house. Yeah. Well, that's like you know, you you under cir- uh, similar circumstances, you started this podcast. Yeah, you were just at a place where you're like, "Fuck it, I just want to do my own thing." Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 I'm. It's been m- one of the best things I think I've ever done because it's fun and I like it. And people and you found your place. It's the weirdest thing is that like even if I started when I did, I, I'd never fit in ever. You know, I was always this this sort of like, "Oh, Marin does that thing he does." Yeah, so it was never. I was never an easy fit, and I never understood that comedy was a business. I just, you know, I expected like I just need to go up there and be seen and uh, you know express my philosophy of life and everything will unfold. I never yeah. thought it was important to be part of a, a group of comics right. or or have relationships with people on the other side of or the business. Learn how to be a marketer or a marketer <laughs> or have good relationships with club owners right. or, or or respect the staff. I was completely self involved, and it's a gift. I mean, like I don't know what would have happened if if my podcast you know hadn't uh, you know if people hadn't liked it. I don't know what, where I would be, what you know, or what, how I would feel. But I do know that I've I've put in the time 
to, you know, I know that I'm capable. So like, I know I've paid my dues and it's, that's not coming from a bitter place. So when anyone asks me, you know, I really have to sort of think like, you know, well, we need to, you, you to do this first. I'm like, well, what the fuck is that? And do I really need to do that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> In any situation. Oh, okay. I guess not. Yeah. I yeah. think it's just funny that, that so many, so many of us feel like we're not where we want to be or we're not we're not doing well enough like even last night at this at this Doug Benson show uh Pardo and I uh were like they you know Doug started introducing everyone you know Pat Oswald crowd goes fucking bananas uh Josh Molina crowd goes fucking bananas Sarah Pat, you know Paul F and then right and then Pardo was up next and he was like now watch the applause die <laughs> and uh, but when he went out they fucking loved him and it was just it was such a perfect moment who's, of, uh, who's Josh Molina he was on uh, he was on Sports Night and uh, West Wing and he's oh. a he's a he's an actor really funny guy nice guy well Pardo's like a, yeah but he's like he's one of the funniest guys alive and he's a little nuts with the insecurity and, and I you know I think I am as well but but the the interesting thing to me is that I'm completely bowled over that that people like dig this thing that you know dig you know, my podcast and, and it's like I had no anticipation of it. I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, gloating in it. I'm just sort of like, oh my god, really? You listen? I, because I think, but I, because I think what's shocking about it is because it feels like it's uh, maybe it's just because we have this idea in our heads of. Well, you know, when a large studio or company pays you to do something, then you have a job and a thing and a career. Sure, there are parents. And, you have and, a... and because we're doing something that is something we would just do anyway, just talk to people about shit that's inter- interesting, it feels like we're not doing anything. And and you're who you are, you're just as purely who you are as possible. So when people respond to that, what they're what what is really happening is they're saying... Hey, I really like you, and that's weird to take. You're like, well, really? I feel like I'm not doing anything. Well, no, but that's it. That that you know, I know that if people listen to the podcast, they do know me, yeah. and they and that like this is the first time in my career that I've actually been able to be as much me as possible. I I do disagree a little bit in that this it's it's a lot of work. No, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it, you know, it's it's my job. Yeah. You know, the the podcast, but I I love doing it because of the freedom we have, and that you have all these weird choices that you never had before, and you have this audience I never had. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever had this many people, you know, know, you know, have direct access to me, yeah, you know, on a regular basis and send me things. Where and, do you, where do you think we would be? Do you think do you think the insecurity is necessary? Do you think it's a necessary motivator? Do you think it drives us? Like, no. what if we didn't have it? Do you think we would still be? Well, I don't like. I'm trying to figure out whether it's. I, I guess it's insecurity or it's some sort of. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't exactly know what it is, and and I don't ever feel like when people say that. That uh, my comedy is neurotic, or it's introspective, or it's too heady. It's like I I don't see it like that. I, I think I'm being you know very uplifting and uh, and and that I'm celebrating life. Uh, but in terms of my own problems, where would I be without my problems? I don't know because I, I get to that point. Like there was this risk a, a few weeks ago before this relationship I was in ended, where I was getting a couple emails saying like Marin's happy. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen to the podcast. And, and of course, I said, you know, I, I really think there's trouble around the corner, so don't panic. But I, I don't hold myself to that same standard. I, I just think that the insecurity, I think everybody wants to be respected and everybody wants to do well at what they do and not knowing that you're doing well. Or, or my bigger fear is, like, I get to the point where, where it's like, how am I going to fuck it up? Right. It, like, I'm not so much. Ah, uh, the sabotage gene. Right, right. In, in that there's there's that fear that like it's the the screws got to turn and they're going to stop liking me. My dad had that. My dad had so much of that when he was young that he's developed this idea that 
well, every time something good happens, something bad's gonna happen. Like, he connected those things together, so it was very hard for him to be happy when he was young. Well, well yeah, but I think that, like, I'm trying to get away from looking at everything black and white in the right. sense that, like, you know, life, you, you never know really what's gonna fucking happen. And and a lot of times, like, it's very easy to get, you, you to get, the insecurity reveals itself where you start looking at comments and doing this, and then, you know, somebody says something, that a troll says something that obviously they know you well enough to trigger a, a sense of insecurity, and then I gotta, you know, talk to a friend who I respect and go, did I really just... <laughs> yeah, and, and they're like, "No, dude, he's just fucking with you." But it's kind of true, right? Like, I want there's some part of me that wants to feel that kind of like you know to feel that anger of like you know, fuck you. I've been you know, and I just I just have to make choices around that shit and, and not respect my instincts. Well, you can be in a room of four. <laughs> you can be in a room of four hundred people are laughing, and you see one guy in the fourth row who has his arms crossed. Yeah, and you're problem. Like, What's that guy problem? But What's you know that what? Guy's problem? Well, you think it's with you, but they could like who knows? Their cat could have died that day. Like ninety percent of the time, what they're doing is they're not paying attention because whatever their fucking life or whatever you know burning house that they just walked out of to come to your show right. is still you know prominent in their head. Yeah, and then you always risk the fact it's like why why you sit there like that well, my mom died i'm like oh fuck i had to talk to the audience you know so <laughs> but a little bit in your Stay head home. as a comic you you think you're like it's like it's like no no matter what happened to that guy today i should be good enough to make that guy laugh right still. so then you choose to talk to them yeah. and then you, know, you choose to engage the, stro- yeah. the troll you choose to do all these things but really it's it's really out of your control but you know if you can get a room full of people to laugh at his pain publicly then you've really achieved something great which, that means you're a great comic. yeah which side of the which side of the yeah because i always think and I always had you in mind when I thought about this because I would say, I would, I used to, and I think I said this on your podcast last time too, where I said, um, I think good comics relate to the audience well, but great comics can force the audience to relate to them. And I think you said, you're, it's not about forcing anyone to do anything. Was was your response? <laughs> well, the thing is, is like what I start to realize is that in my mo- when as I get more vulnerable on stage, is that the best that can happen is you became you you, you become sort of a group mind. Like you know, I, I I don't like I'm not looking to get high on laughter. I'm looking to be heard and seen and feel that connection that we have. Yeah. And you know, an indicator is obviously laughter. But sometimes with my shows, like I get a, a weird sense of warmth. And then if a, an audience member starts talking to me, I don't have any problem talking to them because in that moment. You know, you're going to be more vulnerable than you're going to be in anything that you're just generating right. in your head. So, you know, a lot of times when I got off stage, the best moment is when I think somebody said something in the room. Like a lot of times I'll think I'll hear things, which is fucked up. Like, you know, did somebody just say that I'm an asshole? You know, and 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 and, and, and then it's always like, you know, I'll, I'll write it out for like 20 minutes and I'll get off stage. And it's like, no, that dude was talking to the waitress and, and he was asking for a drink called an asshole. And you and, I, and it like and then like I just did 20 minutes, you know, as if I'd been called an asshole. Oh, good thing he didn't order get off the stage, Mark Marin. Well, yeah, it's a that, great drink, though. Well, that's on some menus at comedy clubs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of vermouth and uh, <laughs> cigarette ashes. Um, so, uh, is that a picture of Bill Hicks there? Where is that? Is that Hicks? No, that's my old first promo shot. Are you serious? Because yeah. the glasses, your face is mostly covered up. Yeah, that was when I was doing a John Lennon thing with the uh, like, you know, sort of. I got my my hand glasses on my head and my real glasses and my sunglasses. That was my very first sort of uh, comedy shot. Were you? Are you? Uh, Ari Shafir wrote something the other day on Twitter. He mm. was like, "Be honest, people. Has Bill Hicks ever really made you laugh?" Oh, and, yeah. and, and I wrote back and I was like, "Yes, of course he has. Mm-hmm. He he wrote the joke about why he was. I think it was on." Um, Revelations or something where he he talked about why he dated a 19 year old girl where he referred to her vagina as a wisp of cotton candy above a paper cut yeah and then when you flip her over her her something about her of the her, bunny her, her, yeah like wink like her yeah. butt like winking like a rabbit's nostril yeah which was one of the most brilliant 
descriptions. Yeah. That's right. No, of course. And then to them, where do you? Uh, just out of curiosity, where do you think he would be uh, had he not died? Like in terms of with this whole digital revolution? And oh, no, I think he would have had you know the audience he deserved, and and I think he would have you know sh- you know sh- you know he would have done what he did, which is shine a lot of light on the you know the hypocrisies uh, and and also the uh, the he he was a guy that really could eloquently speak truth to power in a very vicious, beautiful way. And I think that he would have just, you know, continued to build that. I, I think that he would have been one of the only people uh, alive that could, you know, really assess and take on in a, in a lyrical, eloquent way, you know, how we were all being fucked right. by, uh, by the powers that be. I mean, you know, it's a shame uh, what happened to him because, uh, obviously because it is, because he died, you know, he was too young, but that his voice... Uh, was uh, sort of a it was, it was a real life force. A real it was like a sort of a force in nature, and uh, it's sad. You know, even if you didn't laugh at him, that he had that great capability to make you completely shift your perception of something. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that is the, the real sign of a great satirist or a comic is that hey, I never thought of that like that, and holy fuck, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And like you know, he had the capacity to blow minds. And and I, I think that you know that's that's you know lacking. I mean you know what people think is mind blowing is you know is that how did that cat get across the pool with those shoes you know like or whatever. The, 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 so YouTube. Yeah, exactly. That you know he was a mind blower and you know and and he was a fucking brain raper and that's uh, that's good. Well, I think also you have to contextualize what he was doing with the era that he was doing it in. Like he was, he was the complete complete antithesis to the whole like comedy boom you know like all those yeah, but, but the thing was is that like his type of voice or you know when people say you know uh so uh, people who do what you do like not that i do what hicks does but there there there's a certain path in comedy that only a few people will take because you know ultimately it, it's not the fast path it's not rewarding you may not become a star but you have to honor your voice and your heart and so like whether or not you know comedy was whatever it was at that time no matter what time you know hicks would have appeared on the scene he was going to be difficult for a lot of people but i think because of what you're saying because of the ability to to find your audience and to utilize self-promotion you know it would have been a lot bigger but you know he was uh, you know an iconoclast well, yeah, and I think, and I, but, but what I think, what does make, what I, what does put you guys in the same boat is that uh, there's a difference between, like, I, I, I catch myself all the time, like, how do I write a zinger on the end of this bit, which is an entirely different approach to comedy, which is how am I going to go up and talk about things that are real and true, which is different. Yeah, but but Hicks was, uh, he, Hicks was great at writing zingers, you know, and uh, in a way, you know, in his way, yeah. that he was great at turning a phrase. You know, I think you can see some of his, like, you know, he had a style of lyricism that you know you still you know i mean you know patton's got a little bit of that yeah. in the way that you know you take words and you kind of you know build words into like some sort of rabelaisian explosion yep. you know just this lyrical thing uh that but i, I think hicks was a, a very you know articulate and meticulous writer so I, I think you're giving yourself a short shrift on that that and and in that you know that more so than me you know i'll, I'll certainly fly by the seat of my pants more often than i will compose something because i'm so like I, I need things to be so immediate, but uh, but I think he definitely wrote the fuck out of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're about <laughs> we're about at the end of our hour. Actually, we're about at, about an hour fifteen, which is perfect. Okay, perfect amount of so time. So, that how, how do do we? Is there a theme song or anything that we sing? Yeah, we say something about and uh, enjoy your burrito at the end of each podcast. Did you just did kind you, of say it? I think maybe I did. Did you bring burritos? No, we didn't bring burritos. It's a metaphor. We had burrito. burritos before we came here. Oh, we did not enjoy them. Before. You didn't enjoy them? No. 
Ed, that senior fish isn't as good as the other. Oh, ones. you should go. You got to go to Cacao up yeah. on Colorado. Cacao Mexican Tessin. Oh yeah, you guys good. are literally going to enjoy your burritos. <laughs> <laughs> Why, I, thanks for having me. I am so thrilled it. that you finally that we were able to get you on. And thanks for letting us use your equipment. And you know, uh, honestly, if you ever have a fallout last minute, I will. I would. I will. Absolutely no, no, no. We'll on. do it, dude. I will do it. You know, I just. Uh, I will. We'll do it. Uh, also, it doesn't any, have to be a fallout. To any listeners that I'm sure most of our listeners already listen to the WTF pod, That's but like WTF if pod. they don't, they really should check out uh, yeah. the entire catalog. WTF pod. You can follow Mark Marin M A R C M A R O N on Twitter or uh, at WTF pod as well. No, I didn't. I didn't uh, take up too much space here, did I? I mean, I didn't. I, I. It was your show, right? You were perfect. Okay, good. Yeah. You're absolutely perfect. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Now leaving Nerdist.com. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. It's winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win two hundred million dollars. Two hundred thousand dollars. Prepare, cause it's about to be ugly crying, lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating twenty-five years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. 